you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 169 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan Jason Burke, and on today's show, I'm talking about the Cy Young and MVP winners, but I'm going to start out with some of the comments that Marcus Simeon's agent made to Susan Slusser, how much of what he said is just building up his client, and how much is the real deal. But before I get into that, please follow us on social media, at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter, and if you have any questions for us, please send those to Locked On athletics at gmail.com. So on Wednesday, Marcus Simeon's agent told Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle that he expect his client to sign for nine figures. That is a deal worth at least $100 million, folks. So let's take a just a quick look at that real quick and see whether or not that holds any water. Just at face value, uh, I, I don't think that Simeon was ever going to get anything in that realm of a contract because that means we're talking somewhere around five years 100 million dollars and that works out to 20 million dollars a year and the reason that Simeon's agent is likely thinking 20 million dollars a year is on the table is because Red Sox shortstop Xander Bogart signed a six-year 120 million dollar extension with the Sox in 2019 before the season started and the two players have had similar war totals over the last two years but comparing Simeon to Bogart is a little bit of a miscalculation uh, by what I think at least, uh, because Simeon is two years older than Bogarts. Uh, they're both, you know, just one month into, they have similar birthdays, but, uh, Simeon is now 30, whereas Bogarts is now 28. And, uh, Bogarts' deal runs through 2025, and he will be 32 years old when that contract is over. uh, In theory, he has a vesting option for the following season as well. But Simeon is already 30 years old. And if you take the stats from all of the shortstops from 2017 to 2020, uh, Marcus Simeon is still ranked fourth. So he's been a good shortstop by by all means. But he is uh, a little bit closer in war total to Andrelton Simmons than he is to Bogarts. And I'm pretty sure Andrelton Simmons is not getting a nine-figure contract contract this winter. So uh, I don't know where this is necessarily coming from. I think that he should be comparing himself to Andrelton Simmons, who has not signed a big deal thus far, uh, as opposed to Xander Bogarts, who had just won a World Series and has he plays in Boston and they have lots more money than the A's and, you know, a lot of other teams who have not won World Series recently. So I think that there was some World Series hangover in that one. And also he'd been a good player, but, you know, I don't think that Simeon is necessarily quite at that $20 million a year level uh, personally. And that is not meant to be a knock to Marcus at all. I'm just uh, trying to relay my thoughts into what his agent said here. So uh, I I hope that Marcus signs for one year and a hundred million dollars. That'd be great uh, because I want the best for him. I just don't know that a a nine figure deal is going to be on the table. So I'm going to say that that one is uh, the agent trying to pump up his clients a little bit and make them look more appealing to other teams, which is, you know, what his job is. So, you know, good job. He's doing a great job as an agent on that one. He also went on to tell Susan Slusser that we haven't seen a premier free agent shortstop anywhere near Marcus's age or skill level for a very long time. Uh, I believe that she pointed out that Jose Reyes was a similar free agent, uh, similar numbers and all that stuff. He signed, I think it was six years, 106, something like that. So he got over nine figures. But uh, I don't think that that kind of money is going to be on the table, but we'll see. Uh, And 
there haven't been a ton of shortstops that have signed nine-figure deals in the past, but I do think that that's going to change here very shortly, just not this winter, because next winter, you got Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, and Carlos Correa all being on the market next winter. I'm assuming that a couple of those guys are going to get locked up by their teams. Uh, the ones that stand out to me are Corey Seager. He's probably going to get locked up because uh, the Dodgers have money. And maybe Carlos Correa, but I'm going to let him hit free agency. I think that whoever trades for Francisco Lindor, like if it's the Mets, I could see... Francisco Lindor being linked up to the Mets for a very long time because Steve Cohen has lots of money and he's doing it to make people happy. So I could see him just offering him a big deal. So I would still leave uh, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, and Javi Baez as competition potentially for Marcus Simeon if he were to hit the free agent market next year as well, which I'll get into here in a second. Let's keep it with this winter. And uh, his agent says that there have been more than a handful of teams showing interest in Simeon. And he said that one team would even move their shortstop to another position to land him. And uh, without looking too deeply, my guess is that that team would be the Mets because uh, they got Ahmed Rosario. He's solid. He's a, he's a good player, but I think that Marcus Simeon would be an upgrade over him. And, uh, you know, they got the money to sign Simeon to whatever he wants. And they're also a team that's going to be in contention that doesn't necessarily have a shortstop. So my, my initial guess is the Mets, although uh, all the rumors I'm seeing have them landing Francisco Lindor for literally whatever it costs. But if the Mets are in on uh, Marcus Simeon, then he's going to, then their new owner, Steve Cohen, is going to just outspend whoever else is bidding against him. And uh, the A's cannot afford Marcus Simeon in a bidding war by any means. So, uh... That's basically the meat of the article is some of those little quotes there. And I think that he's mostly using the media to talk up his client, which he's supposed to do. So good job on him. I just think that he wasn't necessarily realistic enough for it to be a good negotiation tactic. He's like, yeah, I'm getting all these offers for $100 million. This is great. He's definitely signing for this much money. And uh, from everything that we've heard, it's going to be a very depressed market, even for, you know, good free agents. Uh, maybe not like your Trevor Bowers or your George Springers, but those are like the two guys that are going to get their money. Marcus, maybe he's going to get a one-year deal, maybe a two-year deal. Maybe he can squeak out a five-year, $60 million deal, but would he be better served going short-term and then seeing how the market is in a couple of years and taking a bet on that and on himself as well to prove that his uh, 2019 season wasn't a fluke? Maybe. So there's a lot at play here, and I think that Marcus is going to be around for a little while, um, maybe well into December or January. We will find out. But one question that I would have if I'm offering Semi in a contract is how much has Matt Chapman, arguably the best glove in baseball, helped Marcus's fielding woes that he had earlier in his career? I know that Marcus has been putting in the work, and he had an MVP caliber season both at the plate and in the field in 2019, but how much has Chapman helped him? Since Chapman came to the big leagues, we've seen Simeon get nominated for a gold glove in each year outside of 2020, and 2020 also happened to be the season when Chapman's defensive metrics declined as he was battling a hip injury and then missed time, uh, you know, the second half of the season, basically. So how much of that was an impact on Marcus Simeon. Uh, obviously, they both play on the left side of the infield, so their defense is linked to a degree, but how much is their defense linked is going to be a big question for people offering. If, if they're going to be offering a $100 million contract, I'm sure that they're going to want an answer to that question. They probably also have metrics to prove this stuff because uh, they have more stuff than we have in the public. So uh, we will see with all that stuff, but that is a big question that I would be uh, asking personally, and nobody else 
else has a Matt Chapman. He is the best third ba- defensive third baseman in baseball. And uh, so nobody else can, if Marcus's defense isn't quite up to snuff as it has appeared uh, these last couple of seasons, then nobody else can mask that as well as Matt Chapman. So, uh, you know, maybe that's something to consider for other teams as well. So that may leave the possibility of Marcus re-signing with the A's open. Um, again, it's a wait and see game. So where did this all leave us with Marcus Simeon on the free agent market as we sit right now? Well, with the free agent shortstop class coming next winter, along with CBA negotiations that are going to be happening next winter as well, that could lead to a slow market, and I doubt that he is going to sign a one-year deal and then hit the market again next year. It just doesn't seem to be the smart play in this one with so many. Uh, we don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands next year, uh, so owners could cry poor again and then tank next year's free agent class as well, and he's going to have have a much stiffer competition in that free agent class with, you know, Lindor and all those guys. If they do, at least three of these guys are going to be hitting the market, I believe. Um, so I think that that might be where the door opens a little bit for the A's to re-sign him this winter. Um, if they offer him a decent deal, like maybe two years, $24 million, that's 12 a year. That's decent value. It's not, you know, the 20 million at all, because I don't think that he would be getting that anyway. But Maybe if he's worth 15, maybe he takes 12 from the A's. I doubt it, but maybe we're just getting the conversation started. Maybe it's two and 30, something like that. But uh, I think that that would be a big benefit for the A's, getting them their bridge to Nick Allen to take over shortstop in a couple of seasons. And it also keeps the team intact for another season and gives Marcus another couple of shots to win it all with his hometown team. And how much does that play a role? I'm not sure, but if he's not getting great offers out there, maybe a quick two-year deal would benefit both team or both sides here. Uh, Marcus would be two years older when he hit the market, so obviously that's not necessarily ideal, but he wouldn't be too old to be getting another decent-sized contract, maybe a three-year, uh, another 10-year or something like that, or maybe a little bit more if he proves his worth uh, on the field over the next couple of years. And if he signed that two-year deal with the A's, he'd avoid the shortstop fracas uh, next winter and shouldn't have nearly as much competition and free agency the following year. Obviously, with that, you also have uh, a bunch of teams that just signed their free agent uh, shortstops of the of the future. So there wouldn't be as many teams in need of a shortstop. But maybe if a team missed out, like maybe the Tigers are ready to compete and they haven't locked up their shortstop position yet maybe they become a big contender for uh, Marcus Simeon Um, just just throwing a random team out there uh, that likes to spend some money so uh, I think that there would be options there might not be as many quick contenders but there would be guys that or you know teams that would be willing to pay him for his services especially if he's proving that he's more like the 2019 Marcus Simeon than the 2020 version that hit like 232 and uh you know what was okay but it wasn't great he was a little bit below league average at the plate as opposed to a little bit above uh or you know MVP caliber above so uh yeah it, it's gonna be an interesting market for him I think that I'm Outside of being an A's fan and how it shakes out for the A's, I'm interested to see how he specifically goes in free agency this year because the top guys are going to get their money. But guys like Marcus Simeon, how do they stack up to, you know, Didi Gregorius and Andrelton Simmons? I think that Simeon's the best out of those three personally, but uh, do other guys, do other teams feel that way? Um, Are there other metrics that prove otherwise? Um, I think that they have a, well, I think Didi may have a better bet, but is he as good with the glove? I don't think so. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of 
there's a lot at play here, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this one works out. Um, I think that Marcus is going to take the best choice for him and his family overall this winter, and uh, I I hope that he does. Honestly, if it's with the A's, awesome. If it's not, uh, you know, best wishes to Marcus on, on his next step. So that's what I have for you guys in the Marcus Simeon front for now. But coming up on the show, I'm going to be talking about the Cy Young MVP awards that got handed out. So stay locked in. We're locked on A's, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts and also tell a friend because we're here for you guys. Yeah, a schedule change for you guys, actually. Uh, I'm going to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, off day Thursday because my wife is off and I like spending time with her. And then I'll uh, also record for Friday and Saturday. So that's the... The new schedule move, moving forward, I think. Um, so yeah, it's five days a week still, just slightly different days. Um, so yeah, also follow us on social media so I can keep you guys updated with when I'm posting shows. That's uh, at LockedOnA's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So on a Wednesday night, the Cy Young Awards got handed out. And to nobody's surprise, Justin Bieber was the unanimous AL Cy Young. He went 8-1 with a 163 ERA. He struck out 122 in 77 and one-third innings. That's like a 14K per nine something. And it's higher than that, but it's around there and uh, he also had a walk rate of 2.4 per nine so he had a really killer season and everybody saw it so you know to nobody's surprise Shane Bieber congratulations all that good stuff uh, also Chris Bassett got two third place votes a fourth place vote and two fifth place votes to place him eighth in the Cy Young balloting so good job to Chris Bassett he's been working his butt off for many many years and uh, the hard work kind of paid off this year so he uh, he elevated himself to a new status within the A's organization and in their rotation and also in the eyes of the voters. So congratulations to Chris Bassett and his A's teammate Liam Hendricks got one fourth place vote from good friend of the show, Melissa Lockard, and fifth place votes from Martin Gallegos of MLB.com. He's the A's guy and also a representative from both the Twins and the Royals. Hendricks ended up tied for ninth with Dylan Bundy and uh, Dylan Bundy, he had a good season too. So uh, both them very deserving of the honors. Hopefully the Angels trade Dylan Bundy so he doesn't get to work his dark magic against the A's next year. That would be wonderful. But uh, over in the National League, Trevor Bauer got the nod with 27 first place votes and three second place votes making up the totals. Uh, so it was kind of a runaway for him. He was definitely deserving of the award in the National League based on numbers. And the only reason that I picked against him was because I thought people wouldn't vote for him because he's such a polarizing figure. But uh, apparently people love him. So congratulations to Trevor Bauer. You Darvish ended up in second place with 24 second place votes, but was left off of one Dodger beat writers ballot altogether. And uh, if you want to go ahead and play the conspiracy game with that one, I am not going to stop you. Uh, he was the only person that left you Darvish off of their ballot. So conspiracies abound. Go ahead. Hit me up with those at locked on at A's on Twitter. Um, other than that, not a lot of crazy votes cast by any means. It was just, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer and you Darvish on everybody's vote, uh, ballots pretty much one, two and it, it went on from there. Uh, then we got to Thursday's announcements, and boy, is there a good story that goes with the NL MVP race. First off, congratulations to NL MVP Freddie Freeman on his first MVP award. He got 28 first place votes and two second place votes. He was definitely deserving of the award with the offensive numbers that he put up. I went over those on Monday for you guys, so I won't repeat them here. But uh, and he had a story to go with it, too. He 
recovered from COVID before the season start. He didn't think he was going to live. And then he went out and had an MVP season. So uh, Freddie Freeman, very deserving of the award. He carried his Braves all season long. Good. I mean, didn't, they have a good team. He didn't necessarily carry them. They had a lot of good offensive talent. But uh, good job to Freddie Freeman is mostly what I wanted to go with right there. But uh, that is not the story that I wanted to tell you. This one involves Chicago Cubs reliever Ryan Tapera, and he tossed 20 and two-thirds innings while recording a 3.92 ERA and had a strikeout rate of 13 and a half to go with a walk rate over five. So not a spectacular season by any means, especially in a shortened season, especially by a reliever, all those things. Uh, it was like an average season, maybe, and his walk rate was not impressive. You shouldn't be getting votes if you have a five walks per nine walk rate. But anyways, he got an MVP vote and not a Cy Young vote, but an MVP vote. This means that someone deemed him one of the 10 best players in the National League. I mean, they slotted him 10th, but he still was in the top 10. And according to somebody, at least. And uh, it turns out that the voter that voted for him, Rick Hummel of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, was also quite surprised by this announcement, even though it was uh, Tapera who was on his ballot. And uh, NBC Sports Chicago did some sleuthing. There's an article that's online. Uh, check it out. They got to the bottom of this one. And it turns out that because of the pandemic, ballots were cast online for the first time ever. That's not the big the breaking news, but it does play into this. Um, usually they you know, write them down, or not write them down. They get sent ballots in the mail, and then they send them back, and that's how this works. But uh, because of the pandemic, pandemic they didn't they did it online which you know they should have been doing already but anyways uh that's beside the point uh hummel says that the best he can figure is that tapera who we voted for was close to trey turner who he wanted to vote for in the drop down box and he selected the wrong player and didn't double check his ballot closely enough so that's how ryan tapera got a vote for nl mvp even though he was fine and not mvp at all so one, that's hilarious, and I'm sure that Ryan Tapera is going to get Rez so hard by his teammates next season. And two, it's a little bit disheartening that this reporter didn't double-check his ballot when his literal job is reporting and fact-check. Uh, just, just to state on the media, and uh, you know, I could say more, but I'll leave it at that and keep this train a roll into the AL MVP, and uh, this one is kind of obvious too. Uh, it was Jose Abreu of the White Sox. Dude put up an RBI a game, which is very impressive, but since he was the odds-on favorite to win the whole thing, uh, I'm going to talk about some other interesting things to take away from this AL MVP ballot. Uh, first off, Mike Trout, best player in baseball, finished fifth, which, you know, he missed some time. That's fine. He the, His team didn't make it, and it was a short season, all that stuff. You know, he didn't have time to separate from the pack. I get it. But uh, his fifth place finish is the lowest he's finished for MVP in nine seasons. He just got edged out by Shane Bieber, who finished fourth, one point ahead of Trout. And fourth place had been the previous low that Mike Trout had finished, but, uh, you know, the one point from Shane Bieber did it. So uh, Liam Hendricks got three votes total. He got one ninth and two tenth place votes, giving him four total points and tying him with fellow free agent George Springer. I wonder who's going to sign for more. It's probably George Springer. Uh, not because of talent, just because of, you know, the, the amount of games played and all that stuff. Uh, I did find this part interesting, though, because I thought that I had found something and then I didn't. But uh, former A's beat writer of, for The Athletic, Julian McWilliams, he is currently writing about the Red Sox for a different source. It's like the Boston Globe or something like that. He was the only writer to vote for Alex Verdugo, and he gave him a fifth place vote. He also had Trout eighth and gave another Red Sox, Xander Bogarts, 
his only vote as well. So he had two Red Sox that didn't get votes from anybody else on his ballot. And one of those was Alex Verdugo, who he placed fifth, which doesn't seem like a, you know, impartial judgment by any means. And uh, the only reason that this actually came to my attention was because I was seeing who else was tied with Liam Hendricks at, at four points. And Verdugo's name was just above his with six points, which he got from the one fifth place vote. And uh, I thought that that was interesting. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll talk about the, the guy that got traded for Mookie Betts having, you know, some MVP votes and all that stuff. And I was like, nope, it was just the one Boston sports reporter that got him that vote. So, uh, you know, whatever. No story there, I guess, for me to talk about from Alex Verdugo having a great season. He had a good season, but, you know, not, you know, fifth place in the MVP voting. Um, just, you know, found that interesting. Just wanted to share some nice tidbits for you guys. And this is the first time that I've actually looked at who voted for the whom pages on the uh, baseball uh, Writers Association of America page, and they're actually pretty interesting because you can see stuff like the the one LA writer who potentially still holds a grudge against Yu Darvish for his World Series performance in 2017, and one writer who doesn't know how to use drop-down menus, and one writer who just picked two guys on his own team that he covers. So I just thought that stuff was interesting and I wanted to pass it along so it'd be a little bit different from all the other MVP and Cy Young stuff that you guys have been hearing for uh, the last couple of days here. And that's mostly how I write the show is I try to find things that I find interesting and then hopefully you guys find them interesting and then that's how, you know, the show comes to fruition. So, uh, yeah. That, that's the secret. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, that is it for me today, you guys. I hope you guys enjoy your Friday. Until next time, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks, and I'll talk with you guys tomorrow.